Y'all want something special to happen in your life? Uh, we know that the Lord Jesus brings that, and uh, we're so grateful for our musicians and all of those who share with us every Sunday morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are to the last chapter in this study through the book of Ephesians. I didn't really plan it uh, that far in advance that today, on Mother's Day, we would land on such an appropriate set of verses, but it is a blessing that it has landed on that because this is God's guidelines for a happy family, a holy family. How many of you want to have happy families? Amen. I want a happy family. How many of you want a holy family? We want holiness. We do want happiness. And God, it is amazing how He gives us instructions for raising children and having godly homes, and it only takes really just a few verses. We've got libraries full of books on how to raise children, how to have happy homes, how to fix all of the problems that we have, uh, and we have uh, all of these things that, and counselors and folks that tell us, and all that stuff is great, but it's amazing to me how very specific God gives us instructions on how to be moms and how to be dads. And in this passage, and this is the only place that ever happens, and so listen, if you're a child, and let me just define children this morning, if you're still living under the roof of your, your parents and they still have authority over you, you haven't kind of married and, and gone on or you're out on your own, you're, you're under their umbrella of authority. That's who this is, is really talking to in this first verse. You are a child. Now, in the second verse, it talks about honoring your father and mother. That's for all children. And everyone I'm looking at is a child of somebody, right? And you, you have uh, parents, and if you don't know your parents, uh, you may have friends that kind of adopted you, but there are people who are your authorities in life, and we're going to learn today that God wants us to honor our fathers and our mothers. And then it's going to have a word to the fathers in particular, do not provoke your children to anger and this is an important word for us and so here's my guarantee if you'll just do all of these verses your household will look like the Waltons remember the Waltons I doubt it the Waltons uh, was a great show and maybe Little House on the Prairie that's sort of set back in a uh, little before my time right at the beginning of my time but we have these idyllic uh, settings of homes and and you and I know even at our best we probably don't have the the Walton scenario you know, where everybody says good night and it kind of from room to room I used to love to watch that show you know and and but but there has been a drastic change in the cultural definition of a parent and of the family now we have the Simpsons now we have all sorts of craziness on on, on we see so I'd rather us aim towards the Waltons wouldn't you and we need to look at what it is that builds a happy and a godly home. But it's important, if you're a guest with us today, to know where this passage sits. What we've been studying is the idea that we, we begin with a relationship with Christ, and then we are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all in chapter 5, it tells us that the foundation of a great Christian life is walking in the indwelling power of of the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. And it is in this context, 
It's important that you know that is this in this context that these commands are given. And so these are commands for a spirit-filled family. But even if you don't know Christ or you don't follow Christ, these are great commands even for those who don't know Jesus. These are solid instructions for a happy and a holy family. But primarily we need to understand that this is for uh, a Christian. These are guidelines for a Christian home. And I want to look at this real closely today just for a few moments and talk about what we need to think of when we approach these kind of verses, these kinds of commands, and, and how we can develop the kind of families that these folks are desiring with, with the little ones and, and, and what we hope to have in the coming generations. Well, what can we do? Well, let me just give you my first point. I really believe that we need to build our homes on holy ground. A happy home is built on holy ground. What do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's look at this text just a little bit. It says, children, obey your parents in the who? In the Lord. That is the sphere, that is the location, that is the setting of this obedience. In the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. For this is the commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that it may live long in the land. So the second and the third verse talks about the fact that we're, we're in the Lord in verse 1, but in, chapter, in verse 2 and 3, it is the commandment of the Lord. And so it is His Word that is, is the setting and the grounding of these type of commands. And then in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Did you catch the atmosphere? The kind of ground, the setting on which we are to build our families and our home? It's in the Lord. It's in the instruction and in the discipline of the Lord. We don't often think of it this way. I'll watch folks come into the church with their children and I've been brought into the church, and I remember when I was a kid, you know, we'd run across the stage, or we'd be doing some playing around. They'd say, don't do that. You're in the house of God. You're in the house of the Lord. And I completely understand what you mean. You think this ought to be a place where we, we're respectful, and I think we ought to be respectful of the worship center, the place where we come to worship God. But, but the problem with that kind of thinking is it, it takes your house and makes it something else. Your house is to be as much a place of worship as this house. Your house, here, here's why. If you define worship as a bunch of people looking at a preacher, then your house isn't worship. But if you define worship as responding in obedience to a holy God, you do that at work. You worship God at school. You worship God in your home. Right here, he gives us instructions. Kids, children, obeying your parents is an act of worship. You're not worshiping your parents. You're worshiping God when you follow his commandments. Think about your homes as a place of worship, and it will change the environment. It will be a place where the instruction and the discipline of God is brought, and you will begin to do things in your home in the Lord. 
Your house is to be a place of worship. Second of all, your house is to be a place for discipleship. Your house is a place not where uh, good citizens are just raised. It is to be a place where disciples are made. Uh, we, we don't just bring our kids to Sunday school or life group or youth group and bring them here and say, you make them holy, you make them good. No, your house, your home, your family, even if you live in a, in a, in a, in a mobile home that's on wheels, inside, wherever that family is, your family is to be a place of discipleship. Let me show you by looking at a story in Luke chapter 2. Would you turn over to Luke chapter 2? And in this story, I think we have a beautiful example of what our homes are to be and what our ultimate goal is to be as Christian parents. Now, this might be a familiar story to you. This is early on in the life of Jesus. He's 12 years old. Now, in our day and time, we think of 12 as, as pretty young. But in that day and time, when a, when a young man turned 12, he took he took on a lot more responsibility for his own spiritual development. He was required at that age to go up to Passover. He was held responsible for making sure that he followed the religious feasts. And you're going to see that Jesus at 12, year old, at 12 years old is obeying the commandments we have in Ephesians chapter 6. But watch this story. I find this really interesting, Why? mainly because I find it very familiar. <laughs> It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. Mary and Joseph, with his siblings, took Jesus to the Passover. That was their responsibility. They were raising their children to fear the Lord. They were going to their version of church uh, on their annual feast of Passover. And then they would have attended the synagogues in their local area. But then it says, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintance. Let me, let me read between the lines for you. They lost their child. How many of you parents would admit that there's been a time, now Sarah and I have to, have to admit this, there's been a time coming home from church. We had five kids. They weren't all big. They were little at one time. We had five children. Uh, there was a time where we both were sitting at the kitchen table beginning our Sunday lunch, and I noticed that one of our children were missing. <laughs> and about the time I looked at her and I said, where, was it Caleb? He was older. He was older. It wasn't a little kid. Yeah, he was like a, how old was he? Uh, 10, 12, something like that. But anyway, he was old enough to not have been in the nursery. But uh, I looked at her and said, I thought you brought him home. She looked at me and said, no, I thought you brought him home. Now, that's exactly what happened here in Jerusalem. The men, the men always left last. The women would get a head start. And they were moving with all the supplies and all the kids and all that. And uh, they took off a little early. And then the men would always catch up with them. That was sort of their tradition. Well, she took off thinking Joseph had Jesus. Joseph was just hanging out with the guys and, and thought all along Jesus was with his mother. And Jesus was in the temple. Well, by the way, a wonderful church member knocked on our door about the time we realized we didn't have one of our child. And in walks Caleb. So... Uh, <laughs> 
That was a wonderful experience. Now, uh, now you have to tell me something about your family, okay, after church. We need to know. It is easy to do, and that's exactly what we have happening, but watch this interaction. It says that uh, after three days, <laughs> ours is only a few minutes, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. It's important to know Jesus did not disobey. He was doing what a, what a normal 12-year-old uh, follower of God would have done. He was in the temple. And they, they had times where they would question and they would dialogue about the word of God. And he was in there doing exactly what he should have been doing. And these parents came in, I think, more embarrassed than anything, <laughs> and his parents saw him, were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? How do you think that made Joseph feel? Well, I think it would have been a momentary sting to Joseph. A momentary sting in the heart of Mary as some of her memories begin to come back and she's thinking, you know, of course. Of course. He made it very clear that ultimately he, along with our children, do not belong to us. They were simply stewards for this period of time. To, to teach them and lead them and, and bring them to the point. And here is the goal that we ought to have for our children and our grandchildren. There ought to be a time, this is my prayer, that I pray there is a time where my children trade my house for his house. Where they trade a loyalty to their earthly father for a commitment to their heavenly father. Because here's what I can do for my children. The only thing I can do for my children is try to set a good example, <laughs> try to teach them the Word of God. I can try to protect them and provide for them, but only my Heavenly Father can perfect them. Perfect them for heaven. I can help maybe extend their life and protect their life on this earth, and maybe if they'll listen to me, they'll have a few more years but only their heavenly father can give them real life forever. And so that is, that is the goal. Not just a happy home, but that home ought to be a house of worship. It ought to be a, a house of discipleship. And look what happens. Look at how Jesus responds. Young people, look at this. Children, the, the command of the, the scripture says, you are to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Watch your great example. Jesus and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them verse 51 and he went down with Mary and Joseph and came to Nazareth and was what submissive to them and his mother treasured up all these heart things in her heart that word submissive fits right into Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 where we've been learning that the attitude of a spirit-filled believer is one of submission 
We as believers submit to one another in love in the body of Christ. We put others' rights and others' needs ahead of our own. And then we saw in chapter 5, in a a spirit-filled marriage, the wife yields leadership to the husband and and, and, and fills his need for respect and love. And he yields and submits to his wife's needs and sacrificially meets them. And now, listen, young people, children... Jesus comes to you and says, watch my example, and he gives you a command. He says, here's how you fit into the body of Christ. If you want there to be harmony in the church, you need to be obedient in the home. If you want to be, there to be harmony and happiness within, in your life and in the years to come, you need to listen up. The word obey means hupakuo. Uh, it means to listen up. Listen up with the desire to obey. Command is clear. And Jesus did it. He submitted himself. Did he need to? You know why he needed to submit himself? Because that is God's will for the family. He was obedient. And Jesus increased in wisdom. By the way, this is the second thing that we pray for our children. Number one is they'll find Christ and and find God as their heavenly father. The second, look at verse 52. Wouldn't you, don't you pray this for your kids? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Can I tell you, he increased in favor with God and man, not just because he was the incarnate son of God. He did that because he was an obedient child to Joseph and Mary. And obedience is a way to progress and grow in Uh, in favor with God and man. And so that brings me to my second point that I want to bring you real quickly. We build our homes on holy ground, on the word of God, on the salvation of the parents and of the children, and and creating houses of uh, worship and houses of discipleship, homes where, where, where God is at the center, but there are habits that we must form Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Habit number one, obey your parents. Habit number two, honor your father and mother. Tomorrow, the the word for honor means to, to look up to. The first word, obey, means to listen up. The, the second word is look up. Respect them. Honor them. This is, and, and then I love what God does. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then the third habit, he addresses the fathers. Some translations put it in general, parents. But it really, uh, the word for parents is in verse 1. It's a different word. Why would he change words? I think he's particularly focusing in on dads because I think this is a particular problem with us. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is an entire sermon I'll probably get to on Father's Day. How we provoke our children to anger. But it is a command to bring harmony to the home. Daddy sings bass, mama sings tenor. You ever heard that song? How many of you remember the Partridge family? You know, I loved their bus. 
And, but, but I've always kind of had this dream that, that me and my, my wife and five kids would be like the Partridge family. We'd kind of all be on different instruments singing and praying. They're disowning me, by the way, today. I've used them way too much in this sermon. But uh, I just would love that. Just, there, there ought to be a harmony in the home. And guess who sets the bass note? Guess who sets the root note? I really believe the Father can do that. And if he is just always on his kids and oppressive, and this is where I fail, folks. And you know what? One of the reasons that I often fail in not disciplining with grace and kindness and sometimes being harsh is I forget something that you forget. God never intended for me and my wife to make my children perfect. We can't make them perfect. Only he can. How can imperfect people make perfect little people? I mean, I can't even make myself perfect, much less them. And it is this perfectionism, and it is this pridefulness that causes us sometimes to be harsh and demanding and controlling, and we lose touch with several things. The first thing we need to understand is our house is a place of intense spiritual warfare your house is a place of spiritual war i'm not talking about verbal war and the war that really is is going on is in the hearts of the parents and the hearts of the children the same curse of sin the brokenness of sin that makes marriage a challenge is the same curse of sin that is born into the hearts of these precious little children. It is a good thing that they make these babies so cute or we'd get rid of them, you know? <laughs> God knew what he was doing, just making them so precious and cute or we would not put up. They demand what they want when they want it. They don't care about your feelings or your sleep. They don't care that everybody in Walmart's watching you and watching them and that you're, they do not care about you the way you care about them early on. And so they, they come up with uh, a rebellious nature. They come up sin broken. And this is very countercultural. This is not what you're going to hear. But the Word of God says, in sin, my mother conceived me. And it is our job as parents to teach our children to obey. How many of you had children that just came up and said, what, what can I do for you? <laughs> what was the most common word raising your children? No. Why? They come out with rotten hearts just like you and I did. Now, what is God's design? What, how does he deal with this? Well, we can't perfect their hearts. That, only Jesus can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can make them righteous. Only Holy Spirit can do that. What our job is, until they get to that point is to discipline them and train them in the Word of God and train them through discipline. 
Your house must be a place of discipline if it's ever going to be a place of worship. And if there's anything that I really encourage young parents, and I see them do this, and, and we have failed in so many ways, but one of the things we tried early on to do in our families was to have structure, to have discipline. It's okay to say, it is time to go to bed. It's okay to say, if you get out of that bed, I'm going to give you a spanking. Now, where did I get that idea from? Well, my parents were abusive to me, too. But anyway, <laughs> no. Where did they get that idea from? Let me just take you through a quick way that I think the Bible teaches us to draw kids in discipline. And, and you have to be very careful with this. And it's, it's a balanced approach. If you're all spanking, if you're all the belt, if you're all anger, that won't work. There is a balanced approach. But let me tell you that the, the Bible does explicitly teach that the way of discipline, in particular when they're little, is you begin with fear. You, be, you begin with the rod. Look at what it says. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23 Verse 13 says, Do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol or hell. I mean, the, the Bible teaches this idea. And, and I think that the, uh, the switch or the spoon or whatever it takes to inflict a little bit of physical pain early on is what the Bible says is a, is a great way to start. And, and you need to know, and, and spirit-filled families and spirit-filled uh, moms and dads are not abusive. And they do not spank in anger. Remember what Ephesians teaches? Be angry and what? Sin not. That includes when you're disciplining your children. But he says you begin early on because here's how they learn to behave. First of all, they learn based on this thought. Because I'll regret it if I don't. I behave because I'll regret it if I don't. In a sense, sometimes that's how we get saved. <laughs> if I don't get saved, there is punishment for sin. Do you believe that? God punishes sin. And you know what? You know why he brings discipline into the family? Is he, he, it's training ground. You are teaching them that even a loving God will discipline you to save your soul. And you're, you're training ground for that. But, but it needs to advance from that. And that shouldn't have to go on very long. It advances to reward. The scripture teaches this. In fact, verse 4 or verse 2 and 3 talk about that in this passage. He says, honor your father and mother. And then what does, it, what does it promise? A reward. Even God in his Ten Commandments used reward as an incentive for obedience. You need to put a reward structure into your discipline, into your home, because God does that for us. He rewards us with peace and joy, and he will discipline his children, us, 
when we sin. And, but one of the ways that he helps discipline us and challenge us is through reward. And, you, and, and so you, it's okay to obey because I'll regret it if I don't, but that's not very developed. We want to move on from that. We want a, people to obey and our kids to obey because they know there's a blessing associated with it. Then there's a third way, and this doesn't work with three-year-olds. I've tried it, and that's reason, all right? It may not even work with your 18-year-old or 25-year-old. It may not work with your husband or your wife, but anyway, reason is is a way of, of bringing about obedience. And this, is, this happens because they explained it. Okay, well, I don't even need the reward. I actually understand how that's a good idea. And sometimes obedience happens because it makes sense. But not very often. We're, we're advancing, though. Do you see how it's advancing? It moves from the rod to reward to reason... But then there's a fourth level, and we see that in verse 3, 2 and 3, and that's respect. Sometimes that's what I use with my kids, is just respect what I've asked you. Respect me. And sometimes I think, young people, you can obey your parents. It may not make reasonable sense to you, but they are your parents, and you respect them. And so we can obey not out of fear of the rod, or not even desiring the reward, but we just because we respect our parents. I think that's a little bit of what's in verse 1 where he says, children, obey your parents, for that's just the right thing to do. They are your parents. Respect them. But here's the final stage. The final stage is because it's right. What we want to see happen with our, our young people and our children is we want to see them advance to the point that they don't obey out of any other reason other than the fact that God commands it. It's out of faith. Obedience out of faith. Obedience out of faith. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I hope that's why you're at church this morning. I hope you're here because it glorifies God. He deserves our worship. There is reward in it. But he is worthy. And can I just give you this final thought? Your house must be a house of grace. A house of grace. That's what verse 4 is all about. Because I could give a sermon on, the, on disciplining and using the rod and all of these kind of things that the Proverbs talks about. But even the Apostle Paul comes in and says, But fathers, but fathers, if there's going to be harmony in the home, mothers, maybe you're, you're in this, if there's going to be harmony in the home, you need to know the balance of when to apply the discipline and when to apply grace. There is the act of parenting, and we all know what that is if we've got kids, but there is the art of parenting. And the art is knowing when to apply grace. Has God shown you any grace? 
Have you gotten all of the punishment you deserve? No. Let me give you a few verses. He does not, Psalm 103.10 says this, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Psalm 103.13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Isaiah 49.15, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Even a mom might forget. But I will never forget my children, God says. Isaiah 1, listen to this. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. I know that parenting is a subject that is painful. And the longer I go in parenting, the more painful it gets. And if you're a young parent... Uh, it, it is an interesting exchange that happens. You go from the weariness of all the energy output to the weariness of concern. And then you have the weariness of regret. Of things you, you wish you had done. But can I just tell you, there is grace for all of us. And when I talk about parenting, and in particular on, on Mother's Day, I just want to be very careful to let you know this. That uh, God knew you could not be a perfect mother. How do I know that? He sent his son to die for you. Dads, I know you can't be a perfect dad. But Jesus died. For you. And did you ever think about the fact, maybe you've had some children, even the, the best raised children, some of the best raised children rebel and run from Jesus. And you can't, you can't take that on yourself. You may have done some things wrong, but think about this. In Isaiah, God said to Israel, you are my children and yet you've rebelled and run from me. Think about this. Adam and Eve were God's children in a perfect environment, and they sinned. Does that make God a bad parent? The fact of the matter is each of us have a choice to make in our hearts. Each of us must yield to to God on our own. Our homes are just places where we, we discipline and we lead them to Jesus, but, but everybody's got to make that choice on their own. And you can't blame it on your parents. You right now have an opportunity and a choice this morning to receive Christ, to repent, to run back to your heavenly Father. And some of you need to do that. And parents, some of you have just... Uh, Maybe you need to go back to your home and just begin to visualize it differently. It is an extension of the church. It is where the church lives, Monday through Saturday. It is a place of worship, a place of discipleship. And we want to help you. We want to help you as any way we can.